Advent calendar. It's a day that we recognize Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So I think we're, it's right to, to look at that story instead of continuing our, our series in Romans, which we'll return to after, after next weekend. But let's pray before we start. Oh, Lord God, again, we are so grateful for the opportunity to come this morning to worship you and to learn about you as we open up your word. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Lord God, that we might understand who you truly are and we might respond correctly to that. I pray, Lord God, that you would do this, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the title of this morning's sermon is, Who is Jesus? And that might seem, for most of you who are believers, like, well, I I know who Jesus is. But there's a sense in, in each and every one of us that sometimes we don't truly understand who he is. And I pray this morning as we look at this story, you will get a better understanding of who he is because Matthew is really going to present to us this morning as we read his gospel different aspects of who Jesus fully is. And that's what the triumphal entry was. It was a time where Jesus was going to fully reveal himself to his people. If you know the story up until this point, Jesus has been sometimes covering and veiling himself of who he truly was. And the people didn't know. And even after this, and even after his resurrection, as you know the story, people still don't understand who Jesus is. And maybe you're at that point in yourself, it's like, yeah, you know what, I truly don't understand who he fully is. And again, I pray this morning as we see that, that we will respond correctly, even believers. So again, who is Jesus? And who do people believe he is? Even in society today, you'll hear different responses to who Jesus is. He's God. He's a great prophet. He's a great moral teacher. He's one of the great gurus. Or he was just a man, or some even believe that he never even existed. How we answer that question, again, really demonstrates how we live our life, who Jesus is. I'm reminded of the quote by C.S. Lewis, and that's in your bulletin this morning. I like this. He says this in speaking about how people would say that Jesus was just a great moral teacher. And if you know anything about what Jesus taught, you would have to agree with C.S. Lewis in this. He says, you can shut him up for a fool. Speaking Speaking of Jesus, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I love that quote. And again, if you know any teachings of Jesus, no sane person would say the things that he did unless he truly was God incarnate. And that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. He can't be a great moral teacher alone, although he taught some great things. But with that said, again, we're going to look at different aspects of Jesus' titles and deity and personality through this story this morning as he reveals himself to his people. 
And you'll see that they had different expectations of who Jesus was as he enters into this. So let's read the story. Let's read through verses 1 through 11, and then we'll come back and I'll make four points about the titles or the names given to Jesus. So it says this. This is about a week before Jesus' crucifixion. And it says, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And as you could tell in verse 10, that's really where I got the, the title of this message. Because the crowds are saying, Who is this guy coming with this great entourage, coming with all these praises and messianic titles being thrown at him, and somebody in the crowd says, this is Jesus, the prophet Jesus from Nazareth and Galilee. He's that guy that we've been hearing about for so long. He's from among us. But as we're going to go back now, we're going to look again at four things, specifically names that Jesus, one, he gives himself, one that a prophet gives him, and two, that the crowd shout out to him to discover who is this. Who really is Jesus? And so let's go back to verses 1 through 3, and we'll find the first one. And this one is provided by Jesus himself. He calls himself Lord. Look at this. When they had approached Jerusalem and had gone to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her untie them and bring them to me. So he says, go into this village. You're going to find a donkey and a colt. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anybody says anything to you in verse 3, look at what he says. Say to them, the Lord has needed them. Well, what exactly does that title mean, Lord? It's the Greek word, kurios. And the, the meaning, mean, there's different meanings to it when the New Testament uses it. It can mean Lord, which as it's translated here, it can mean master, owner, or sir. And in this instance, Jesus is saying, I'm the master, the Lord. The meaning contains more than just an owner or sir, because Jesus himself is saying it. And Jesus demonstrates that he was master over all things in the Gospels, doesn't he? 
If you recall the stories, he's master or Lord over weather, over disease, over people, and even over spirits, both angelic and demonic. Jesus is Lord of all, master of all. And in a sense, he is also the owner of all things, isn't he? If he's the creator of the universe, therefore he owns all things. And he could rightly tell the masters of the animals, I own those. Those are mine. You're just, I've just loaned them to you for this very purpose. And so when he commands them, tell them the Lord needs them. There's no questions asked other than why are you taking our donkeys? But when they're told the Lord needs them, they're just given to them. So either one, these people that owned them were disciples themselves, or they recognized who really was asking for them. Again, they recognize Jesus as Lord, and Jesus calls himself Lord. He's master. Is he your master? Do you look at Jesus as your Lord? Let's look at the second title that's given to Jesus and gives us a different aspect of who he is, and that can be found in verses 4 through 5. Matthew explaining why This whole episode took place. He says this, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So here in in verses four through five, we're told that Jesus is king. So not only is he given the title of master, but he also is king. And this event, as we see here, is a prophecy from the Old Testament. And Matthew takes two prophecies, one from Isaiah, Isaiah 62, 11, and the other from Zechariah, Zechariah 9, 11, or excuse me, 9, Zechariah 9, 9, to explain to Israel, this is the prophecy of the coming king that our prophets spoke about long ago. Let's read those two verses, why don't we? Just so you get an idea of where he gets these. Because if you look for this exact quote in the Old Testament, you will not find it. But a lot of times the New Testament writers took multiple prophecies and put them together. Isaiah 62, verse 11. says this, For the earth brings forth... Oh, that's the wrong one. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed the... to the end of the earth, saying to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense is before him. So here Isaiah talking about the king coming to the daughter of Zion, and we'll explain in a few moments who the daughter of Zion is. Let's go now to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This one is even more uh, in line with Matthew's quote. And he says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You may be thinking, well, how come they didn't understand that this was the Messiah when his word said this is exactly what 
was going to take place. Because I've said that before, and then I think, well, how many times do I read God's Word, and it tells me something, and I still don't believe it? Does anybody fall into that category, or is it just me? I'm going to be the only one admitted. Okay, that's fine. Uh, you guys are all have a lot of faith, I guess. I was the only one really singing that song then earlier. Okay. <laughs> Help me to believe your word. But they didn't. Well, we'll see. In a sense, they did, but they truly didn't understand all that it meant and all that it entailed, as we'll see in a moment. So those two prophecies are given by Matthew to describe to the nation of Israel that their king is coming. And again, as I just said, the king of what? Well, it says here, the daughter of Zion. And Zion was a reference to the city of Jerusalem. And the daughters of Jerusalem were the people. So the, Israel, the Israelites, the Jewish people, were prophesied that a king was coming, a coming king to them. Now, did this literally mean, hey, only if you lived in the city of Jerusalem? What about the Jews outside of the city of Jerusalem? No, it's a symbolic term to mean the chosen people of God, the Jewish people. But when we come to the New Testament, does that mean that he's only saving the Jewish people? No, New Testament writers over and over again now say that when Christ came, he revealed the great mystery that God's chosen people are all those who believe both Jew and Gentile. So Zion are both believers, Jew and Gentile. Zion is now the real church of God. This is who Jesus is coming for. So Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. And now let's go back to our text in Matthew 21. Look at verses 6 through 9. There's another name given to him. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their colts or their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road, and the crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, look at what they shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And this is where we get our third title of Jesus, where they say, um, Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus here is being proclaimed as the Messiah. The son of David is a messianic term, and they realized that this was the prophesied Messiah of the Old Testament, so they knew something of it, and we're saying this is him, son of David, the promised one, the salvation of God, the fulfillment of God's word is finally here. So in a sense, they did recognize those Old Testament prophecies. And how did they respond to this? Well, they responded, as I mentioned, one with words, Hosanna to the son of David. He was the future king of Zion. That was prophesied. One who would free Israel from oppression. And that's really what they're looking for. As you know, they are being uh, held captive, so to speak, or overrun by the Roman uh, government. Rome is in charge of the world at this time. And so they are thinking that their king is going to come and free them from the yoke and the oppression of Rome. So that's who the son of David was to be. One who would restore their land back to them. They would get their own land. They would be in charge of it again. 
But unfortunately, as you know, they did not understand the first coming that he came to free his people from the oppression of sin. And later, as we look forward to now that one day Christ will return and we will have a land free from all oppression. This is the son of David. A matter of fact, the kingdom of God was to be in the hearts of men at this time. Remember Jesus, when speaking to Pilate, he said his kingdom was what? Not of this world. In John 18, 36 through 37, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. My, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not in this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is in the truth hears my voice. Jesus came and brought the kingdom of God now. The kingdom of God was inaugurated. When he comes again, it will be fully consummated, literally. Remember in Colossians 1.13, the Apostle Paul says to the church, He rescued us from the dominion of the darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the beloved Son. So in a sense, we are in the kingdom of God now. Jesus Christ rules and reigns as king of our hearts now. Again, this is what they were expecting him to do, except they were expecting the literal kingdom to come right then and there. And this is why I think as John alluded to in a prayer or as he's talking, I don't remember. Sorry, John. But what happens when they realize, hey, he's not going to free us from the oppression of the Romans. He's not going to restore us the kingdom of David. They start shouting, crucify him. The same people that at one time were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, now are shouting, crucify him. Because he did not live up to their expectations. So with their words, they were praising the Messiah. And even in their response, if you go back to our text, what do they do as Jesus is riding on the donkey? Well, he has this entourage coming with him. This is a cool uh, illustration. We'll talk about it in a little bit as well about his second coming. Think of this. So Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem and there's pilgrims coming with him shouting his praises and those pilgrims it says that are already in jerusalem they come out of the city to greet him and to escort him back in do you guys see where i'm going with this don't we do that at the second coming the saints come with christ from the air those who are alive will go up to meet him and they'll bring him back down just like they do here i thought that was so awesome picture like well they did it once we get to do that again So whether we are alive or dead, we will be that entourage that heralds in the literal kingdom of God. So they're cutting down palm branches, and palm branches symbolize joy, salvation, victory, and celebration. So they understand, in a sense, that this is the Messiah, and they're doing that. And they even lay their coats on the donkey, and Jesus sits on them, and you know, to probably make the ride more comfortable, I'm not sure, to make a saddle for him. And they lay him on the ground, which was a way of paying homage to 
royalty. So in a sense, they understood who he was. They just didn't fully understand how he was going to do things. And that's so true for us, right? We recognize Jesus is Lord. He's God of all things. But then sometimes we just don't understand how he does things. Even when it's spelled out in his word. So I, I hope you see that. Hey, this, you know what? Yeah, sometimes I don't truly understand who Jesus is. So again, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the king of his people. And Jesus is the promised coming Messiah. And lastly, Jesus is from God. Going back to our text in verse 9, when they say, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people, again, continue to shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They realize that he came from God, the promised one. They recognize that. And again, they were right in their recognition that he was Messiah. But unfortunately, they were wrong in their belief about the type of deliverance that he was going to give. Doesn't this happen with us as well? We believe that he's the Messiah. We believe that Jesus is going to deliver. But sometimes we don't understand what that means. We have this, maybe sometimes this false impression that, well, Jesus is supposed to deliver me from poverty. Jesus is supposed to deliver me from sickness. Jesus is supposed to deliver me from all the problems in my life. And when he doesn't do that, we get frustrated with him. So just like them, we too can have a false understanding of the deliverance that Christ has come to bring. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't do those things, but he can. But his main purpose was to deliver us from the oppression of sin and free us from that. And when they recognize that this is... All these shouts, all these titles are being uh, sung to Jesus or praised about Jesus. And this big entourage is coming in. Again, going to our text in verse 10, they say, who is this? Again, everyone recognizes what's being said about him. And that's why they're like, who is this guy? And they say, he is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So you can look at that a, a number of ways. One, they can say, well... He's just a prophet from, you know, and like just just that prophet from from Nazareth in Galilee. Or, hey, he is a man who's the Messiah. He's this guy that was born among us. And now he's being praised as Messiah. And that could be a positive thing. But we're, we're not told we're left to, you know, interpret that ourselves and how that's a response. And commentators go both ways that it was like, ah, oh, he's just the prophet Jesus. He's no more than that or. Hey, this is the prophet from our own people. So again, four ways to look at who Jesus is according to this text. And he's so much more. I'm just going with what is said here. Number one, Jesus is Lord. Number two, Jesus is the King. Number three, Jesus is the Messiah. And number four, Jesus is from God. So what application can we make for that as we look at those titles of Jesus? Let's look at this first one here. Number one, set apart Jesus as Lord in your hearts. Turn with me to 1 Peter 3.15. He says exactly this. First Peter 3.15 
He says, but sanctify, which means set apart, Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. The main point of that is that we need to set apart, sanctify Jesus Christ as Lord in your hearts. Is he? Each and every one of us needs to ask ourselves that. Is Jesus really Lord? Is he set apart as my Lord in my heart? He either is or he isn't. There's no kind of. He's Lord or he's not. Now we grow in our sanctification and our obedience to the Lord. But he's either your master or he is not. Sometimes people just want Jesus as Savior, right? We want the Savior part, saving me from uh, my sins, saving me from eternal punishment, but we don't want Him as Lord. You have to have Him as Lord. There's no one or the other. If He's your Savior, then He's your Lord. Secondly, we need to live like a citizen of His kingdom. Since we're already in the kingdom of God, we're called to live that way. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. If we call Jesus king, if we call him our Lord, if we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into his, the kingdom of his marvelous light, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 12 says this. After speaking to the church at Thessalonica, he says this, so that, because of all he said up to this point, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. God's called you into his kingdom, therefore we are called to live a certain way. We're to be transformed. We're citizens of the kingdom now. We don't have to wait for it to come literally. Walk. We're called throughout Scripture to live as The kingdom is now. And as we've looked earlier, it is. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. He is now a king of your heart, my heart, which to live in response to that calling as citizens of his kingdom. And I hope, thirdly, as you set apart Jesus as Lord in your heart, as you live as a citizen of kingdom, that this morning, as we look at the text, that it renewed your trust in God's promises. God fulfills his promises. This is what Matthew was saying. He said all this was written to show, to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. The same God that fulfilled that is the same God who rules and reigns today. God does what he says he's going to do. I pray that you can trust him more because of that. That you renew your trust in that. And not only that, you'll renew... The belief that he's coming again one day. He came the first time on a donkey in peace. When he comes again is to exact final judgment on the world in, on a horse. Turn with me to the book of Revelation and let's look at verses 11 through 16. And look at Christ's second coming. He came once and he promised he's coming again. And this should give us hope. Sometimes our world looks like it's just falling apart. 
what's going on in our world and across, the, not just in our country, but in other countries to believers, how they're suffering. And we call out for full deliverance, full deliverance from the oppression of sin and darkness in this world. Jesus promises that he's coming again. And look at in Revelation 19, verse 11, he says this, uh, the Apostle John, who I believe wrote this, says this, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. It's not a donkey on this time. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and his head, or on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And I like this. And on his robe and on his thigh, look at his name, written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We just studied in Matthew. What is he's called there? He's called Lord and King. And here it's, remi- it's a reminder, reminder to us that he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is so awesome. That's who Jesus is. This is a depiction of Jesus coming. He's Lord and he's king. Let's turn now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and I'll close with this. Because sometimes as we wait upon the Lord, we can you know, lose, lose our strength be beaten down and we're tired as we want the Lord to return. And I hope that as you see that God keeps his promises, that the promise of his coming would renew your strength. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Thessalonica, starting in verse 13, when he says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. He's talking about those who die in Christ. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Again, the purpose of this writing right here is that so we have hope in the second coming and the coming kingdom. Again, those in Matthew, they had a hope that Jesus was coming and going to restore the kingdom But that's not what he came to do that first time. He came to do it the second time. And that's what we're talking about right here. And I pray again that this will renew your hope that God keeps his promises. So in verse 14, he says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Again, this is that picture I was giving to you earlier. As Jesus comes from the sky, from heaven, with those who have died, that entourage from heaven, and it says those, again, who uh, are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Again, there's that picture. If we so happen to be alive when the Lord descends from the heavens, we go out to meet him, celebrating victory. He's coming to conquer finally, and then come back with him, and verse 18 says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Again, ancient Israel in the first century were comforting themselves. This is the coming Messiah. He's here. We are told now that we are to comfort ourselves with the exact same thing at his second coming. This is the Lord that we serve. He is the Lord. He is the king. He is the Messiah. And he is the God from heaven. I pray that that will transform the way you live your life, that you can trust him, that you set him apart as Lord of your life, that you live as a citizen of heaven and you are renewed in the trust of the great God of Scripture. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful this morning that we have your word that's been preserved for us to give us comfort, to give us hope, or better yet, assurance, Lord God, that you are Lord of Lord and King of Kings, and that you have promised that you will return to establish your kingdom for all eternity, where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, for the old things will be past and all things will be new. This is the thing that the daughters of Zion in the first century were crying out for, and we today as your church cry out for now that you would come, Lord Jesus. As we celebrate, Lord God, your first coming today, may we look forward to your second coming, that one day. So whether we are alive or dead, we will rule and reign with you when you return. And we look forward to that day, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.